Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, what's up, friends and family in the room, neighbors, complete strangers, first-time guests, whoever you are. Man, my name's Nathan. Uh, Great to see you today. Thanks for crashing the party. Uh, For those of you watching online, so good to have you today from wherever you are watching from. Uh, I want to do a little audience participation uh, right quick, so don't be too cool for school. Uh, I want to know about your morning routine, right? Um, So I want you to raise your hand if you have to have an alarm clock to wake you up in the morning. Just a quick show of hands. Okay, all right, there we go. 80% of Americans admit to having to have an alarm clock uh, to get them up in the morning. So next question, how many of you hit the snooze button on the alarm clock at least once? It's getting honest in here. Uh, So snoozers, so 60% of those people uh, that claim to use an alarm clock say they they hit the snooze at least one time. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody by like saying, like, raise your hand and let me just count up to how many times you you hit the snooze. So it's a judgment-free zone. We're not going to do that. Um, But a lot lot of people hit the the snooze button. 20% of Americans claim that they hit the snooze button multiple times, not just just one. So if 80% of people use an alarm clock to get up in the morning, then that means 20% of us do not need an alarm clock to get up. And for those of you that do have an alarm clock that hit the snooze a bunch of times, that may sound really cool. You may say, I wish I were one of those people, right, that that got up in the morning, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, did not need to, to hit the snooze on the alarm or anything. So I'm like that. I get up every morning at the same time, which sounds really cool, right, until Saturday morning, (laughs) Because my body doesn't know. I don't know what the deal is. Saturday morning, I can go to bed on Friday night and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. It's going to be great. I'm going to get a long night's sleep, sleep in, just lazy morning. 5.15, up. I'm up. Dunkin' Donuts isn't even open at 5.15. So i got to wait 45 minutes just to get, just to get coffee in the morning. Uh, vacation, doesn't matter. Up, 5.15. I don't know what it is. I can't break the cycle. Uh, and so some people may, may use it and, and think, man, I wish I didn't have to do this, get up naturally. It does have its, its uh, not just pros, but also cons. Uh, I say that because we're going to look at a church today uh, that Jesus has kind of nicknamed the sleeping church. We're in the middle of this uh, series in the book of Revelation, talking about the seven churches that Jesus writes a letter to. And the church we're going to look at today is in the city of Sardis, and it's nicknamed the, the sleeping church. This is the church that spiritually speaking, for the last uh, amount of years, it has continued to hit the snooze button, spiritually. Continue to hit the snooze button, the away button, the ignore button on the purpose and the calling that a church is supposed to embrace. Now, now the, the church in Sardis is, is completely different than the church we talked about last week. Uh, Thyatira was a blue-collar town, hustlers, grinders, like just workhorses, uh, The church in Sardis, very different. This is as white-collar as the first century could be. This was a very wealthy city, very affluent city. A lot of uh, movers and shakers, power players happened in, in, to live in Sardis. And the reason why that is, is because uh, Sardis found itself in the middle of a gold rush in the first century. 
Um, the mountains that surround the city of Sardis, uh, gold was discovered there. And of course, everyone from all around the area flocked to this area to, to, to excavate the gold out of these mountains. And so everyone overnight became insanely wealthy. Uh, Sardis was a place that began to mint gold coins. Like they were the, one of the first countries to establish a currency made out of the gold. And so they pressed gold coins in this area and used it uh, to buy and trade. They had so much gold on their hands, and that's what they decided to do with it. And so this was uh, v- very different. These people were wealthy, lived in great houses, didn't have many problems, fancy neighborhoods. Almost everything about their life was, was really, really comfortable. And that's the setting in which we find that Jesus writes this letter uh, to the church in, in Sardis. I want to contextualize it for us right quick and see if I can give you some perspective on, on more of a serious note this morning. Um, in, in America, 4,500 churches close their doors every year. 4,500 churches just in America every year. Now, 3,000 churches are planted every year in America. Churches like Revo that'll come in and, and start a new church in, in a city. Only 3,000 of those. So when you do the math, uh, we are at a net loss of 1,500 churches in America every year. And that's happened for decades now, that trend. Well, now the problem with that is as if that's not a problem enough. The problem is as the number of churches decrease, the population of America is increasing. And so right now in 2021, there are fewer churches per capita in our country than has ever existed in the history of our country. Now that may be hard for the people in the room because we live in the South. And the saying is, there's a church on every corner. When I started telling people that we were going to plant a church and start a new church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, people started asking me, why? Like there are plenty of churches in Winston. There's tons of churches. There's like churches that are across the street from each other. Winston-Salem doesn't need another church. And I said, you're right. Winston-Salem doesn't need another church. Winston-Salem needs another healthy church. And that's what we're trying to do. Because the reality is, even in our own city, every year churches are closing. They're closing their doors for one reason or another. Now, uh, I want to make it really clear, like where we are at Team Revo, it is not a win for us if another church in town struggles, as long as they preach Jesus. If they're not preaching Jesus, then I don't care if they die a slow, painful death. I'm talking about churches that are all about Jesus, that are preaching the Bible. Like, it doesn't benefit us at all. If a church closes, like followers of Jesus in the area shouldn't say, oh, great, another church closes, that means maybe some of them will come here. Uh, Revo doesn't walk around and be like, okay, great, another church closed. Maybe they'll give us their building. Fourth campus. The reality is for us, we have a desire. Christians should have a desire for a ton of healthy churches to be in their city and in their area because it's going to take more than one church to reach a city. And so we ought to be cheering for other churches. We ought to be pulling for those churches. It ought to break our hearts when we see a church that Jesus describes here in Sardis that's an unhealthy church that has lost its focus and mission. We don't cheer that on, man. It breaks our, our heart. But the reality is even in our own city, churches are closing every year. Jesus happens to write a a letter to a church like this. I I believe, it's it's not a blanket statement, I understand there are differences, but but I believe a lot of churches that do close every year look like the church here in Sardis. 
And so it's on that backdrop in a, in a country that, that the population is on the incline, but the presence of healthy churches is on the decline, that we open up Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We got through the, the four churches in Revelation chapter 2, and so number 5, starting in chapter 3, this is the letter that Jesus writes to the church in Sardis. He says, and to the angel, to the messenger, to the leader of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The one that is in total control of everything. It's in Jesus' hand. This is what Jesus says. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not, because Jesus actually, when he was writing all of these letters, there's a pattern that he used. Jesus always, almost always, started out with something positive. Like, let me share with you, and if you're like a manager or, you, or you, you manage employees, you know how this is. It's called the compliment sandwich, right? Like if you have something hard that you need to tell someone, an area that they need to grow, here's the approach. Uh, you give them a compliment first, tell them what they're doing right. In the middle, you say, here's where you need to get better and where you need to work. And then you end it with a compliment. And studies show that, that when you do it like that, people are more likely to receive the message in the middle. And so almost every letter, Jesus starts out by saying, I see your deeds, and you're doing great in some areas. Your faith, your love, your giving, your generosity. He almost always starts with a thumbs up or with a pat on the back to this particular, these churches. But Sardis is different. Like Jesus is so urgent, so frustrated, so at his wits in that he just comes in, like Jesus in Sardis, he just comes in and kicks the door down. Like no compliments, no, hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. He's like, I have seen your deeds and you are dead. Now the danger of this is by our standards today, the church in Sardis looked like it was alive. Because it was in such an affluent city, if you drove by the church in Sardis, you would see a, a, a lawn that was perfectly manicured. They even edge around the sidewalks. We don't even have grass growing around our sidewalks, so I don't have to worry about edging. But you go by there, their buildings, immaculate. Man, just architecture and clean and elaborate and expensive. Like it just, like from the outside, it looks good. Even when you drive by on a Sunday, you'll see a parking lot full of cars and lots of ministries going on and programs that they're running with inside the church. And so, and so Jesus says, man, a lot of people will drive by that church and be like, wow, you know, look at that great job. Look at all the cars. Look at the nice facility. Look at the grass and the, the people walking in and out. They're dressed in, like up to the nines. Man, it looks like everyone has everything together. But Jesus here says, make no mistake about it, you may have fooled everybody else, into thinking that there's some activity here and there's some life. But Jesus says, but I see into the soul of the church, and I can tell you this, you are dead. All of the movers and the shakers of the city would have gone to the church in Sardis. All of the politicians, all the CEOs, the people with a lot of money and power and clout, like this was the place to go, the place to be seen. But even Jesus says, when it looks great on the outside, it's dead on the inside because Jesus said, this church has lost its purpose. You forgot why you existed. It's become inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. And while some other people might be confused and, and, and think that there's some life going on here, I understand you have totally forgotten why you even exist. So what went wrong? 
What can we learn from this? Jesus actually gives us, I see three things at the beginning of these verses that Jesus said, this is where the wheels went off the track. This is the problem that you have. So, so for us, I, like, I, I want to avoid these three things. And then on the back half of the chapter, or the, these verses, Jesus says, but, but instead of those things, then I, I want to give you some things to do and to focus on to make sure that you never become this church. And so what were they doing? What went wrong? Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. What went wrong? First thing Jesus says is they were obsessed with reputation. Right there in the first part of the verses, he says um, that, that you have the reputation of being alive. These were people that were really interested in what other people thought about them. That's the definition of a reputation. What other people think of me. What they think of when they see you. See, Jesus said, you have the reputation of being healthy. You know all the right answers. You have all the verses memorized. People in this church could have quoted John 3.16 by memory. They knew all the songs. They came to church. They sang the songs. They, they listened to the sermons. But they never actually moved past that. Everything looks like it, it is in the right place. But Jesus says this, sometimes the, the, the problem with being consumed with what other people think about you and being consumed with your reputation is uh, eventually what Jesus calls us to do will be contrary to what culture wants to see. So what happens when you're a person that is obsessed with what people think of you and Jesus calls you to do something that is totally against what culture wants to do? Because you're going to have a grind there. Like Either you're, you're going to be afraid to let people down, to lose some friends, to, to lose your reputation in the city, or you're going to be willing to embrace what the Bible says about fill in the blank, whatever theology, whatever subject, whatever he's called you to do. This church, Jesus says, you're consumed with what everyone else in this city thinks of you to the point where when you read what God commanded you to do, it doesn't even phase you. No, we can't do that because... We might look different, or people might treat us different, or, or we might have a, a bad reputation in the city amongst people that are, that are far from God. Even Jesus said earlier in the Gospels, he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And the church in Sardis had gained the whole world They'd gained acceptance and everybody liked them and they'd gained money and finances and had everything that they possibly wanted. But Jesus looks and says, you've lost the soul of why the church exists to become so inwardly focused that you forget about the people in the community that are far from God. Here's a question to wrestle with for us this morning. Do you care more about what people think of you or more of what God thinks of you? Do you have a bigger fear of man or a bigger fear of God? When it comes to the decisions that you make and the things that you believe in and how you live your life, are you more worried about what people might think of you if you make a certain decision? Or are you more thinking about and concerned about what God said for us to do? People that are consumed with their reputation will oftentimes compromise with what God calls them to do. That's exactly what happened at the church in Sardis. Second thing Jesus said was this. He says their, their faith was unapplied. You want to know how you get to this point where you're dead on the inside? Who cares what it looks like on the outside? Spiritually, you're dead. Jesus says their faith was unapplied. He starts out the verse by saying, I know your works. I see what you're doing. 
and ends the sentence with, and they're dead. All the other churches, he looks and says, I know the works that you do, your love, your service, your giving, your outward focus. But for this church, he says, I see the works, and guess what? There aren't any. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you're just showing up. Jesus says the faith is actually unapplied. This is the church that knows all the right answers, that has all of the right scriptures memorized. They show up for church every Sunday. Parking lot is packed. They listen to the sermon, and they, they sing the songs, and yet they will walk out of the doors every week and never apply a single thing that God said in their own lives. Jesus says faith doesn't work until it's applied. There's all kinds of things in our life that, that have this. Did you know that when you're washing your clothes, uh, bleach does not work unless it is applied. Deodorant does not work unless it's applied. Paint does not work unless it's applied. Soap does not work unless it's applied. Hairspray does not work unless it's applied. I'm not asking you, do you own deodorant? I'm asking you, did you put it on this morning, right? And Jesus says, just like those things, they, they don't work if you have them. They work when they're applied to your life. I'm not asking you how much of the Bible you have memorized. I'm not asking you how often you go to church. I'm asking you, do you actually apply it in your life? And that was what Jesus called them out on. He said, your works, they're not there. They're not, you're not doing anything. Like you, You've completely lost it. You're totally off the rails where your, your faith is unapplied. And Jesus says when faith goes unapplied, it's not faith. You don't have it. You're not living it out in, in your life. Verse 2, we see the urgency that, that Jesus has here with, with two words. They'll say, what, what would you do in response to that? Like, what do you do when the faith is unapplied? Here's the two words. Jesus says, wake up. Two times in these four verses, Jesus uses the word wake up. And I'm not talking about like a gentle wake up. I don't know how you wake up in the morning or, or uh, like if you have kids, how you wake them up in the morning, um, right? But, but this isn't, Jesus isn't walking in and like slowly opening up the door. Good morning. Good morning. It's time to get up. Got a big day ahead of us. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. No, this is Jesus like slamming the door in saying, wake up. Hey, church, wake up. Flip the lights on. Take the covers and yank them off. Like roll, throw them out of bed. Like there's urgency here. You got to get up. Like you are falling asleep at the wheel. We're late. You're not going to do what you, you need to do. You're not going to be there on time. The bus is going to leave you. Like you are absolutely wait. Jesus is hitting the alarm bell. He's urgent with him. He is yelling at this point at them to please wake up. Stop hitting the snooze button spiritually and wake up, man. You are headed to a place that you don't realize you're going to. The third thing Jesus mentions here is this. Uh, comfort leads to complacency. That's what happened with this church. You ever notice that in your life? The areas where we get really comfortable with, we lose a sense of, of urgency with the mission. Here's what happened in Sardis. They had everything that they needed. Man, these folks were wealthy. Uh, because of their wealth, they didn't really have to work hard anymore. There was no urgency. Like they're, they're not fighting every day to put food on the table. They're, they're not behind on their bills they live in a great house in a great neighborhood with a great family, going to the best schools, eating great meals every night, and, and, and not having to really work that hard to get it either. 
And that sense of comfortability, like there, there is no reason to be bold with, with people in the community. I mean, look at all the people we have here. There's no reason to take a risk. Look at the money we have in the bank. Like there's no reason for us to really put ourselves outside of our comfort zone. Like we're good. We're on cruise control. Let's just coast. And that comfortable nature, that comfortable lifestyle that all of that gold and all of that riches bought for them ultimately made them complacent. I have a friend that works in a, in a plant, in a factory setting where they um, produce things. And, and uh, he, he gave me a tour. And when, and when you walk in for the, to the doors, there's a big sign on the door for the employees that said, uh, X amount of days since the last accident, right? And uh, so they had a number on there. I was like, why, why, why do you put that on there? And, and he said, we put that on there um, to remind the guys and girls that work here that every time you walk into the door, uh, you, need, you need to be on your toes. You don't need to get complacent. You don't need to get lax with the safety protocols. You, you don't need to cut corners. Uh, like you don't need to put it on cruise control. Like every day we have to have a sense of urgency. If not, somebody gets hurt. And so there's a reminder on the door, hey, we need to be a place that doesn't have accidents. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Pay attention, be safe, be on guard. And this is Jesus saying, hey, there's, a, there's a, an idea that mentally and spiritually you can check out because life has become so good. And you lose your urgency about it. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time, so I lose my urgency about telling other people about Jesus. I found a church home, and so I lose my urgency about helping other people find a place to call home. Like, my life is good, so no reason to risk it. No reason to do anything that would upset the apple cart there. But Jesus said doing so has major consequences for us. The moment you decide to skip a step, the moment that you let your guard down, the moment you say, I know that's what Jesus said, but we can compromise a little bit. Jesus said that that will lead, that comfort leads to a place of complacency. And that's how that church got to where it is today. Verse two, he says, wake up, shaking him, like yelling, wake up church and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You are not done, church. I mean, like, you're not done. There's still work to be done. Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So if Jesus accuses this sleepy church of constantly hitting the snooze, the spiritual snooze button, and gives us those ideas that they failed in in the first verse, in these last few verses, I, I want to give you four things to jot down that essentially Jesus is saying, don't hit the snooze button. Don't hit the snooze button spiritually in your life. Number one is this, and hang with me here. I, I think Jesus is saying, don't hit the snooze button. Number one, you need to do this. You need to lift some weights. Did you catch the language that Jesus said? He said, wake up and strengthen what remains. Now, I have a gym membership, which is very different than I go to the gym. You need to understand that. I have a gym membership. And it's been a long time since I've been in there. In fact, I, I, I go to one of those gyms where you have to sign in with an app on your phone. And I lost the password about 18 months ago, and so I don't know how to get in. And then, on top of that, it's one of these places where... When you sign in on the app, on the computer, it flashes up when the last time you were here. And I'm honestly embarrassed about that. Like, I don't know what the guy's going to say when I clock in. He's like, 2019, all right, welcome back, right? So I'm just not going to go. I'm going to keep paying, but I'm not going to go because maybe one day I'll go. But here's the thing. I, I haven't been in a long time, but I have buddies that work out a lot. 
And I'll ask him, I'll say, so how do you get stronger? Like if, if you're in the weight room and you're doing the work, like how do you get bigger? And they'll say, Nathan, there's two ways for your muscles to get bigger. You either got to add weight to what you're doing or you got to lift the weights more. You add weight or you add repetition. And that's how you build a muscle. That's how you go from where your muscles are now to where your muscles will be bigger. So Jesus uses this language of the spiritual weight room. He's like, you need to build your strength. You need to lift some more weights spiritually if you want to see your spiritual life grow. In Scripture, Jesus talks about our faith, and Scripture tells us that our faith is like a muscle. And if you want your faith to grow, then what's it going to take? you got to add weight, and you got to add reps. So I ask myself, like, what, what does it mean spiritually for our lives to add weight and add reps for our, our spiritual life to grow? I don't know if you feel like in this past season you've been in a little bit of a spiritual funk, maybe not moving as much, maybe not seeing your, your muscles grow. This um, I don't even know what the, whatever this muscle's called. <laughs> haven't been in a long time. Uh, like you might be looking at it and you're like, I want this to grow and I don't know how to do it. Like spiritually, you may be seeing areas of your life where you're like, uh, muscle's a little bit small. How do you do it? Reps and, and adding weight. So I began to think about it. What does it mean to add weight spiritually? So, so maybe you're reading your Bible right now every day. Adding weight would move from reading one chapter of the Bible to reading two chapters. Just try that. Um, maybe in your prayer life, maybe you're, maybe you're praying like before you eat your meals. You say, man, I, I'm going to add some weight on that. I'm going to add an additional time that I pray during the day. I want to I increase the reps of my prayer life. I want to increase the amount of time that I'm spending in the Scripture. M maybe it's a financial thing. Uh, maybe you've been giving the same amount for a long time, and like, and honestly, you're making less or you're making more. And but, but like, I get caught in this. Like, you just set it up online, and it just draws out every every month. And and I don't adjust it any time that, that that the finances change, go up or, or down. It's just set there. And, and and maybe it stretches our faith to say, you know what, this is. I was giving one percent of my income, but what would it look like to give two percent? How can I add some more weight onto it? Or maybe for you, your, your pattern of generosity is, hey, at the end of the month, if I had $20 left over and I'm at church, then, you know, I'll throw the tip in the basket as I'm on the way out the door. And, and maybe you're just like a special occasion or if you have any money left over at the end of the month. And maybe the repetition is, hey, I want to start being from an occasional giver to uh, I want there to be some consistency in my generosity because that grows my faith. That's a, a, a muscle that you strengthen in your relationship with God. Uh, for some of you, maybe you're on the outside right now. You're, you're a, a bystander at Revo. Like you're, you're in the crowd as an observer, and the next step for you would be to actually get in the game, join a team, have an opportunity to serve other people around you. Maybe some of you are serving on a team right now, and the next step for you is I want to move from just serving to I actually want to help lead. I want to help other people on teams and, and, to, and to lead and to take on more responsibility in the church. It's weight and it's reps that we can add in our spiritual life. If you want to see that muscle grow, Jesus says, strengthen it. Strengthen what you have left. And Jesus is like, I know it's not much. Like, like it's a small muscle for, for some of you in the church of Sardis, but strengthen it. Don't let it die and don't let it dissipate. First thing he says is you need to lift some weights. Number two, Jesus says, I want you to talk about it, not just talk about it, but be about it. Don't talk about it, but be about it. Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. And then he throws this line out there. Keep it. 
A lot of people, Christians, will remember what they heard. Hey, I heard a sermon one time, or I heard a worship music one time, or, or I, I did something one time, I memorized a verse one time, but it never moves to applying it in their life. So Jesus said, hear it, come and hang out here, hear the word, and then when you leave, apply it. Like, keep it in your life. Don't just talk about it, be about it. Here's a good question that you can ask yourself this morning. What do you know about that you're not doing anything about? What have you read in scripture or heard on a Sunday morning or been challenged by in a song or, or in, a, in a post that you read or something that somebody posted? What do you know about that you're not doing anything about? Don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word as well. Jesus says, don't talk about it, be about it. Third thing he writes is this, urgency leads to diligence. Urgency leads to diligence. If comfort leads to complacency, then urgency leads to diligence. Here's what Jesus said. If you don't wake up, then I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come. This was a low blow from Jesus right here, because he's kind of poking at the city of Sardis when he talks about being a thief and coming in the middle of the night. Because two times in the history of this city's 100-year existence, their city has been robbed and, and sacked by opposing armies twice in 100 years. And the story of how it happened, historians tell us, the story was the same both times. What happened was an, an enemy army came in, because you know Sardis is full of gold, wealthy people, wealthy homes, money, gold everywhere. Opposing armies came and they sent out scouts to come in the middle of the day. And the scouts walked up to the front doors of the walls that surrounded the city. And there was no one guarding the city. And like they're looking around and they're like, there's no soldiers. There's no one here. There's just a bunch of people on the inside minding their own business, living their comfortable life. And two times the scouts went back to the army and said, hey, tonight, let's just walk up. Like, let's just take what we want. And both times the city was robbed blind because there were no guards at the gate. There was no urgency about what they had to do. And spiritually speaking, if we don't keep our urgency up, then we can lose sight of the mission and the purpose that the church is here to exist. And we can get robbed blind of the things that matter the most to us. And Jesus said, I will come like a thief. And everybody in Sardis would have been like... Uh, that was an embarrassing point. Remember that time we got robbed twice the same way? <laughs> I was in the grocery store parking lot the other day and the police officer approached me and he said, sir, can you, um, can you walk over to your car and just make sure everything's okay, make sure everything's in it? I was like, okay. I walked up to the car, I unlocked it, like everything's good, nothing's missing, no, nothing's gone. I was like, so what, what, what's going on? He said, well, we've actually, uh, three or four people today have called and said they've had things taken out of their car in the grocery store. So we're just asking people to come out and check their car on their way out. And uh, I said, so how does that work? Like, if somebody breaks a window, do, not, do not, a lot of people not hear that? <laughs> how do they rob three or four cars and no one knows what's going on? And he said this, he says, no, nah, the majority of cars that get something stolen out of them, they don't have to break into the cars. The cars are unlocked. They just walk around and they pull handles and whoever's car's unlocked, they'll open it up and, and take what they want out of it. And I just looked at the police officer. I was like, that's not, that, 
isn't that on the car? Like, that's not breaking and entering. That's opening the door, right? Like, isn't that their fault? Like, I feel like if you leave your door unlocked and somebody stole something, like, don't call the police. Like, you just say, hey, lock your door. Like, that's on you right there. You didn't learn. Like, that's on you. If you're going to leave it open, then you might as well just say, hey, come. it's yours. If you need it, grab it. City of Sardis left the doors unlocked and got everything taken from them. Too many times Christians will let their guard down, leave the doors unlocked, and culture comes in and sacks their life, sacks their family, sacks everything because there was no urgency. But Jesus says, man, your urgency needs to lead to some diligence. This city was rich. Nothing bad ever happened here. And so they let their guard down and culture began to infiltrate the very church that once stood for something and now they stand for nothing. Jesus says that, that's Sardis. Here's the last verse. Jesus says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Jesus says, not everybody in the church and in the city has totally abandoned their faith. Not everyone has lost sight of their mission. Not all of you are falling asleep spiritually and constantly hitting the snooze button. And he says some interesting language here. He says, not everyone has soiled their clothes, but some of you are walking around in white. This would have been pertinent to the city of Sardis because Sardis was a a place that made uh, really high dollar clothing. The article of clothing that they were most known for were uh, Greek-style togas. And it's, it's what you think when you think of toga, if you've ever seen a movie or a television show, Animal House. If you haven't seen it, don't do it. It's not good. Um, I mean, it's good, but you shouldn't watch it. Uh, let me back up. All right, here we go. So Greek togas, uh, if you're looking for a, uh, um, a Halloween um, costume, just get a bed sheet and wrap a, towel, a belt around it, toga, right? That's what they were known for in Sardis. And so when Jesus says, there are some of you that are walking around with really nice, bright white clothes on, these people would have thought, yeah, the togas, right? The really nice togas, the name brand was the really expensive, nicely fabricated togas all came from Sardis. That's what they were famous for. But when Jesus says white clothes, he's not talking about a really nice, flashy white toga. He's talking about purity. And he says that's one thing that the church here in Sardis lost. Last thing I want to leave you with that Jesus says is you got to focus on character. Here's the difference. Sardis was focused on reputation. And Jesus says, instead of reputation, you need to be focused on character. Reputation is how people see you. Character is who you are when no one is watching. See the difference? Reputation is what's on the outside. We just have to put on the right face. We got to have the right image. We got to look the part and and talk the part and fool everybody. But Jesus says, here's the breakdown. While you're caring about what outsiders see, your inside is dead. So instead of focusing on what other people see, focus on what makes you, you, when no one else is watching. Your character, your integrity, your soul, and your heart. Too many people are concerned with what outsiders see instead of who they really are in their relationship with Jesus. Stern warning for a church. As thousands of churches close in America every year, I can't help but to read this story and say we've got thousands of churches in the city of Sardis right in front of us. And it's not something that we celebrate it's not something we're just like, all right, well, that's, that's your bed. You, you make it, you lay in it. 
And I hope that, that we will be people like Jesus here where we're praying fervently for churches in our city to wake up. Hey, wake up. Get back to what Jesus has called you to. F- figure out your purpose. What are you doing? You're sleeping at the wheel. Like create a sense of urgency in us, God, that Revo would be a place, not, not that just had this mindset that the only church that matters is us and who cares what everybody else is doing, but a mindset that, that was sounding the alarm for people, that the church is the, the hope of the world in our city, that the church is plan A. There is no plan B in Winston-Salem. It's the church. It's people like you and me that are willing to stand up for what is right and what is true and what matters and be less concerned about what people think of us and more concerned with are we being obedient to what God has called us to do. May we be a church like that. And may God create a revival in Winston in churches in our area that shake them to their purpose and that they wake up and that we would see God do something amazing right here in our own city. We pray for you. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we've just heard. Help us to be focused on our character over our reputation. God, keep our eyes focused on a city that is lost and hurting and hopeless, that don't know who Jesus is instead of turning into an inwardly focused club for Christians that meets on a Sunday where everything looks right from the outside, but we're spiritually dead inside. God, if that ever happens here, I I pray you shut the church down. When we lose sight of why we're here, you shut it down. God, help churches in our area keep us awake wake Christians up out of their slumber because we do not know when you will return and the urgency is there that those that are far from God are dying every day without the hope of the gospel. God, may you spark something here that begins to catch fire all across our area so that more people can know and follow you. I pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.